This is Africa Digest. It is 1700 hours Central African time. You listen to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, where we give you news from an African perspective. Hello, welcome to the program. My name is Spumelele Zondi. You can find us on 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band if you are in Southern Africa. We are broadcasting to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. This hour, I'm with One Lentinti, Usane Matebula, and Musibudi Makura. Let's take a look at the top stories. Kenya's main political leaders seem to have smoked a peace pipe, much to the surprise of many. South African political analyst Paul Scorn on the ruling party's overtures towards opposition leader Julius Malema. In economics, a DRC president signs a mining law that is expected to increase the country's royalties despite opposition from major mining companies. And in sports, South Africa beats Australia by six wickets in the second test match in Port Elizabeth. On City has your news. Thank you, Spoo. Kenya's opposition leader, Raila Odinga, has reportedly arrived in Ati River for the meeting with co-principals of the National Super Alliance NASA Coalition. The meeting follows Odinga's unity agreement with President Uhuru Kenyatta, which seems to have taken his supporters by surprise. There had been speculation that he would only send a representative to attend the meeting. Odinga and Kenyatta entered into a peace pact last Friday and after their talks agreed to unite for the sake of peace and healing after last year's bruising political battle. Odinga spokesperson Philippe Itali. He may decide to attend if so wishes because it's uh, he's a principal, he's a leader of NASA, and uh, he may not decide if he so wishes as well. But uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, there was a meeting yesterday by the other principals. They agreed that they should invite their leader to come and uh, uh, talk to them about the meeting on Friday and perhaps take them through the, 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 the argument that was arrived at so that they can be on the same page. Uh, and I believe the meeting can be held uh, and uh, he might attend uh, uh, if he so wishes. Democratic Republic of Congo's top opposition leader and other figures opposed to longtime President Joseph Kabila are meeting in South Africa to build a coalition ahead of long-delayed elections in the DRC. Delegates gathering at a resort hotel near Johannesburg say they would work together to elect Moise Katumbi, who fled DRC in 2016 amid legal troubles that he said were fabricated to stop him from challenging Kabila. Opposition activist Jermaine Kabemba says the main the aim of the meeting is to fight against those who want to maintain power and to accelerate the process of democracy in the DRC. A plane carrying 71 passengers and crew has crashed on landing at Nepal's Kathmandu airport with at least eight deaths confirmed. Rescuers pulled bodies from the charred wreckage of the plane operated by Bangladeshi Airlines US Bangla after a rigging fire was put out. Flight BS211 veered off the runway while landing. Local media reports say all flights in and out of Tribuvan International Airport have been cancelled. The BBC's NJ Dakao. The latest report that we have heard from police is that the fire is now under control, but the rescue process is still going on. The general manager of the airport told me that the, the plane had overshot and skidded off the runway 
and after that it caught fire. The aviation security in Nepal is, is challenging. Uh, there have been numerous accidents in the past as well. The United States Secretary of State Rex Tillerson has concluded his visit to Kenya, his third stop on a five-nation African tour. He arrived in Nairobi for a three-day visit on Friday from Djibouti. In Kenya, Tillerson met with Monica Juma, Kenya's foreign affairs minister. They discussed the fight against terrorism and strengthening of democracy. The Trump administration is seeking to bolster security alliance on a continent increasingly turning to China for aid and trade. And lastly, the South Korean president President Moon Jae-in has described the opportunity to hold talks with North Korea as a precious chance to achieve a permanent peace. Plans are still being discussed for a meeting between Kim Jong-un and U.S. President Donald Trump. The BBC's Laura Baker. President Moon Jae-in told his aides that should talks with North Korea succeed, there will be dramatic changes in world history and South Korea would have played a leading role. The South Korean leader will hold a summit with Kim Jong-un at the end of April. The discussions will take place at the demilitarised zone at the heavily fortified border between North and South. It's one of the venues being considered for potential talks between the US President Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. Channel African News, I'm Thank you very much on the latest 1705 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Child Africa. Now, Kenya's opposition leader, Raila Odinga, has reportedly arrived in Athi River for a meeting with his co-principals on the National Super Alliance or NASA coalition. The meeting follows Odinga's unity agreement with President Uhuru Kenyatta, which seems to have taken his supporters by surprise. There had been speculation that he would only send a representative to attend the meeting. Odinga and Kenyatta entered into a peace pact last Friday, and after their talks held at the presidential Harambe House, they agreed to unite for the sake of peace and healing after last year's uh, bruising political battle. NASA's meeting is expected to discuss matters concerning the future of their coalition. Odinga spokesperson Philip Etale has more on what's led to the peace agreement. Well, you know, it's about the, the nation and uh, the unity of uh, the country. Because in the, uh, in the recent past, ever since the election was held in August 8th, and uh, NASA felt aggrieved like, enough that the presidential election was bungled by the electoral body, uh, there have been calls for dialogue and uh, the country has been so divided uh, people have not been speaking uh, in one language you know reading from the same script as a nation a divided nation is a dead nation effectively so um to bring the thought it wise that in the interest of the nation and to bring the communities of this country together he would initiate a process of dialogue which will incorporate all the issues they've been agitating for like electoral reforms uh, corruption uh, equitable distribution of our resources and to ethnicity in terms of our employment, you know, tribal employment and all that stuff. And so many other things. Having an independent judiciary as it's emphasized in the constitution and sure. so many things. So uh Mr. Dinga decided that uh, this must be 
finish, the bull must be held by the horn, and he went for it. And it's a process that he has begun. It's just a process of dialogue that will bring together all the players in the, in the sector so that we can have a unified nation. We don't want a divided nation because no one wants Kenya to die. But some are saying uh, this meeting with Uhuru caught uh, Raila's colleagues, uh, his core principals, uh, are flat-footed and uh, that this could exacerbate disagreements within the organization. What do you have to say about that? Definitely political pundits will say that, will claim that, but indeed the two leaders, our president, Raila Odinga, and the president, Uhuru uh, Kenyatta, decided to meet as tools so that they can work on modalities and how they can bring together all the other players. You can remember that the deputy president was not involved in the initial meeting. That meeting was not there. So it's something that uh, nobody should just uh, blow it out of proportion. It's a meeting that was called by the two top leaders to work on modalities and how they can unite this country. Then, when that modality is worked on, then the rest uh, will be incorporated. It's something that will be inclusive and everyone will be included in it so that Kenya speaks with one language. But Kalonzo Msioka and Musalia Mudavadi came out to accuse Raila of being selfish. Is this not a sign of Mr. Itali of dissatisfaction with what Odinga did? That again would be said of the deputy president. If he thought uh, he was left out, he would have also called the president, Uhuru Kenyatta, as uh, selfish, you know, uh, self-centered. You know, it's about what the, 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 they feel because it happened at the moment when the country needed it most. The country needs to move forward. The country needs to move forward as a united entity and not as a divided entity. That's why you find uh, uh, from the Jubilee side, nobody is making, is making noise on the president. It's only on the other side, the NASA, uh, where uh, the other principles feel aggrieved. But uh, with time, they'll be they'll, they'll see sense in it because there's Definitely, a lot of people are going to support these religious organizations, politicians from different parts of the country. Also, supportive of this initiative because the economy of the country has been uh, in shambles, it has not been growing, everything has stagnated for some time. We need to, to unlock this uh, stagnation and ensure that the country moves forward as a united entity. Now, talk to us uh, briefly, Mr. Itale, about uh, what this uh, peace pact entails. Uh, what is in it for Mr. Odinga? Because he has been regarding himself as uh, the people's president of Kenya. Some are even going to the extent of saying that he has been promised a cabinet post. Uh, what is in it for Mr. Odinga? Those are just speculation issues to do with cabinet positions. I'm never here, no there, Mr. His Excellency. Honorable Dinga is not interested in being a cabinet minister in any government. He threatens the president. I mean, Mr. Dinga cannot stop that law to, to, to go and negotiate for that position. That's propaganda that is being propagated by people who are not interested in peace of the country. Mr. Dinga has been on the record asserting that he's a nationalist. Everyone knows that. He's a pan-Africanist. Why would the country die? Because of him, he just made the bold move and said, I want to initiate the process of dialogue that will bring Kenyans together. Nothing like being promised a cabinet position. Why would he be a cabinet minister when he served as a cabinet minister before in both governments of the uh, former presidents, uh, Moi and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Moi Kibaki? So that's just cheap propaganda being propagated by people who don't mean well for the country. Honda Bodinga is very sincere in his approach to this issue, and he brings on board his political prowess as a people's 
president. Now, just finally, Mr. Itale, before I let you go, we understand that there is a NASA meeting scheduled for later today to map the way forward. Is Rela Odinga going to be part of this meeting? He may decide to attend if so wishes because it's uh, he's a principal, he's the leader of NASA, and uh, he may not decide if, if he so wishes as well. But uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, there was a meeting yesterday by the other principals. They agreed that they should invite their leader to come and uh, uh, talk to them about the meeting on Friday and perhaps take them through the, 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 the agreement that was arrived at so that they can be on the same page. Uh, and I believe the meeting can be held uh, and uh, he might attend uh, uh, if he so wishes. That's Philip Petale, spokesperson of Kenya's opposition leader, Raila Odinga, on the line from the capital, Nairobi. He was in conversation there with Kumbero Manjarere. South Africa's president, Cyril Ramaphosa, and his deputy, David Mabuza, at the weekend urged all former members of the ruling African National Congress, that's the ANC, to return to the party. Ramaphosa says his party is the home of many political parties that splintered out of it, and the ANC would like to build unity amongst them. The one name which stood out was that of Julius Malema, who since his expulsion from the ANC Youth League in 2012 established the militant economic freedom fighters. Ramaphosa and Mabuza said the ANC would love to have Julius Malema back in the party. Responding to that call on Twitter, Malema said he would not join the ANC, saying there's confusion within the party which he says has two precedents. This is what political analyst Professor Sumato Tafikeni had to say. Well, I do think that uh, in the first instance, it is a yearning for greater cooperation between the ANC and the EFF, which is expressed in a form of an invitation for the members to return home, psychologically saying, ANC is your home. Mm. The second one might just be a distant wish to say, we want these parties to come back we know that some of them might have been extremely aggrieved by the term of Jacob Zuma. And as such, it was deeply personal for some of the leaders who mm. might have had a grudge issue with the president and the issues of corruption. So that in itself is just sending a signal for the message of unity. It might also be extended to COPE. It might be extended to those who were disenchanted by the way manner Tabombegi was removed. The EFF's deputy president, Floyd Shibambo, said uh, this is obviously one way of the ANC just uh, highlighting that they don't have anyone within uh, their ranks who's uh, as capable a leader as he says um, Julius Malema is. Let's talk a little bit about that. Well, I do think that uh, we are in an election season and parties will use this opportunity to try and use it for bragging rights, whether it's over the policy initiatives or it is over the leaders being complimented. But at the same time, they may use this in future for bargaining purposes. And in terms of uh, the reality of that ever happening, I mean, Julius Malema has come out right, outright himself saying that, no, he wouldn't go back. But uh, there are some uh, speculation that maybe if the ground was uh, the, as fertile as he hopes for it to be for him to grow um, in terms of his career politically, maybe he would go back. Um, what's the likelihood of that happening? It may depend, one, on whether the EFF itself testing the waters in 2019, if it does well, they may not have the appetite of joining another party.
But if they do not do well, they remain hovering around 8%, 10%, 12%. In the long run, it might just become very difficult to run an organization. So they might be open to possibilities of crossing over. But remember, a ruling party has a range of possibilities. One of those being they may just decide to dispense some of the positions, be it in the cabinet or in other deployments. Either Malema himself and others or those who are from the EFF as a manner of extending a hand for cooperation. That's political analyst Professor Sumato Dafigeni talking to Zikona Meso Ela today. Your time is 1716 Central African time. This is indeed a joyous night. We are delighted by the overwhelming support for the African National Congress. For the people of South Africa and the world, this is indeed a joyous night for the human spirit. Your help and apathy. This year, 2018, marks 100 years since the birth of South Africa's first democratically elected president, Nelson Kholihlahla Mandela. Join Channel Africa, South Africa's international public service radio station, as we celebrate a centenary of the life and times of Madiba. Join us in a year-long broadcast campaign in honor of Nelson Mandela's legacy through a variety of informative radio programs. Channel Africa, celebrating 100 years of Nelson Mandela from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. It's 1717 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa where we give you news from an African perspective. You can find us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa 1. It is Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. You can also find us um, on info at channelafrica.co.za and email that is info at channelafrica.co.za. Now, South African activist and human rights lawyer Richard Spoo and the United States food safety law firm Muller Clark have teamed up to file a class action lawsuit against Tiger Brands. The lawsuit will be filed on behalf half of the families of the people who died after eating processed meats contaminated with listeria produced and distributed by the company. This comes after Health Minister Aaron Mutualedi's announcement that the source of the listeriosis outbreak in the country is two brands of Polonia by Tiger Brands of Enterprise Foods and Rainbow Chicken. The company has already recalled the processed meat product. Uh, Richard Spurk says the class action lawsuit is aimed at bringing justice to the victim. Here he is in conversation with Kumbero Mujarere. This is an, uh, a huge disaster. Over 180 people have died and almost 1,000 have been infected by this disease. Some of them have been terribly injured. They are children who have suffered permanent brain damage and who will require care for the rest of their lives. It is difficult to overstate the magnitude of this disaster. Now, many of the victims are poor people. This particular product 
that is produced by tiger processed meats is a cheap source of protein and it's pretty much a staple in the diet of poor South Africans. So the people who are most afflicted by this are, are poor South Africans. Those people generally don't have ready access to the legal system and the justice system. Many of their claims are quite small and it's very difficult to justify high court litigation because of the value of their claims and therefore a class action is in our opinion the best way whereby we can achieve justice for the largest number of people. Now the company has already recalled uh, the processed uh, meat products that are contaminated and the health department has said that it never accused the tiger brains of uh, causing deaths uh, but it only confirmed that the ST6 strain linked to the outbreak of listeriosis was traced at the company's factory but this was not to accuse the company of any wrongdoing. Are you confident that you have a solid case against Tiger Brands here? The evidence against Tiger is overwhelming. The, the, the particular strain of listeria that was found was LST6. Um, was found in the factory, it was found in the product, and it was found in the people who became sick. That strain is very unique. It's like family. It's like the, the, the bacteria that was found in the, in the factory in Polokwane is the brother or the son of the bacteria that was found in a victim in Cape Town and in the Eastern Cape and in Port Elizabeth and in Potchestrum. It is a signature. It says these bacteria are related. They are family. Now, the only way that that bacteria could be spread across South Africa to infect the very large um, number of people that have been affected and widely dispersed, geographically dispersed people, if this product with this particular form of contamination was distributed. And that distribution pattern matches the pattern of the products produced by Tiger Brands and the bacteria involved, implicated, is the same. We need to prove liability on a balance of probabilities. Absent any other explanation, the only reasonable conclusion you can draw is that these victims have all been infected by eating food from the same factory, which was contaminated with this SD6 strain. Now, I presume uh, that you have been in contact with uh, representatives of uh, families of the victims of uh, this bacteria. What are these families? is telling you in terms of what uh, the kind of recourse they would like to get? Well, there's a, there's a broad spectrum of victims. You know, there are people who've lost loved ones. They've lost a husband or a mother or a grandmother. There are people who've lost children. There are people who've been, who, who didn't die but are severely damaged. We have a, a child born to a, a person who had listeria. The child contracted it and although he survived, he suffered severe neurological damage. There are old people who contracted the illness and have also suffered very severe permanent damage as a result. Um, then there are other people who contracted the disease, became very ill but were admitted to hospital, were treated, and are now quite well again. So there's a very broad range of, of, of people who've suffered damages to various degrees, some permanently, some not so. It, it's, a, it's a very 
broad category of people and the harm that they've suffered differs very much from individual to individual. Now surely the affected customers would not have kept their receipts or samples of the food that they ate. How are you going to make sure that all the victims cases are authenticated as having had links to these contaminated Uh, products? Well we will connect the evidence and we will present that evidence to the court and it's up to the court to you know to make a final decision if it accepts that evidence and if it thinks that evidence is conclusive and not. Look, we don't underestimate the challenges. I mean, it's not, you know, this disease only manifests between three and 70, seven zero days after you've ingested the product. So the the chances that we have a sample of the product or a receipt to show it was bought, you know, to, to, to kind of strengthen our cases is, is probably quite small. There are examples where the product has been preserved, but that's probably the exception. That is South African activist and human rights lawyer Richard Spur talking to Kumbero Munjarada. The government of Cameroon has released 40 of the more than 100 women who were arrested on Friday for protesting killings of in the Anglophone region of the country. Holding brooms, the women demanded a meeting with President Paul Biam to discuss issues like the failure of the government to provide basic services to women and the end to the political crisis. They say the meeting would address, among other issues, the end of the Anglophone crisis, the restoration of respect of human rights, national unity and democracy, provision of basic services like electricity, water, schools and roads, and facilitating nonviolent political transition. Minority Anglophone population in the country in 2017 started a series of peaceful protests against perceived marginalization by Cameroon's Francophone-dominated elite. Their actions were almost always met with a government crackdown. Mokikinzeka is in Yaoundé. National coordinator of the opposition Cameroon People's Party, CPP, and former presidential aspirant, Edis Kabangwala, says she led the women in the protest march Thursday to commemorate Women's Day. She says Cameroon women could not celebrate the day against the backdrop of human rights abuses and conflicts that have left hundreds civilians, separatist fighters and soldiers dead in the English-speaking regions of the Central African state. She says Cameroon has been sailing from one crisis to another because of President Paul Bia's poor leadership. As mothers of the nation, we feel it's our responsibility to stand up and to take the necessary steps to bring back harmony and peace. How do we facilitate a non-violent political transition for Cameroon? So this is a tremendous moment for the fight for respect for human rights, democracy, political transition in Cameroon. Edis, who is popularly known in Cameroon as Kawala, says some of the protesters were unlawfully arrested, tortured psychologically by Bia's police, and detained in the capital Yaoundé for several hours. They were kept for about six hours um, and were released at 7.30 p.m. without any charge and without any apologies nor explanations from the government of Cameroon. During the protest, the women demanded a meeting with Bia 
to discuss the failure of his government to provide basic services and facilities like water and electricity to a majority of the Cameroon population despite the country's natural and financial resources. Hundreds of supporters of the women, including 31-year-old Yaoundé-based teacher René Ahanda, marched to the police church office when the women were arrested to ask for their release. Ahanda says he does not understand why the women were arrested. He says he totally supports Kawala for exercising her democratic rights and her freedom to express herself. He says Kawala is a big and educated political figure who understands her rights and assumes responsibility for what she does. Since November 2016, Bia has been battling with the unrest in the English-speaking northwest and southwest regions that started with teachers and lawyers frustrated with having to work in French took to the streets calling for reforms and greater autonomy. It degenerated with separatist calls for independence. Last October, Secessionist groups declared the independence of the English-speaking southwest and northwest regions of Cameroon they call Ambazonia, declaring Ayuk Tabe Julius, who was in exile in Nigeria, as their president. Armed conflicts erupted, prompting a crackdown of the military. Bia has ruled Cameroon since November 1982. His party supporters have been calling on him to run for president again in elections expected by September this year. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yaoundé, Cameroon. On Ellen's Citizen Studio, she has your news headlines. Kenya's opposition leader, Rayla Odinga, has reportedly arrived in Eti River for a meeting with core principles of the National Super Alliance. Democratic Republic of Congo's top opposition leader and other figures opposed to longtime President Joseph Kabila meeting in South Africa. And the government of Cameroon has released 40 of the more than 100 women arrested on Friday for protesting killings in the Anglophone region of the country. Channel Africa News, I'm Onelin Sinsi. This is Africa Digest. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Nam, kwenye line ya simu hivi sasa najiunga moja kwa moja. Farafina. Farafina. Terre du soleil. Kia makande embalelwa kina Miriam. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África, a voz Renascença Africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Sou Titica, mu África.
informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Your time is 17.31 Central African time right here on Channel Africa. Now, a high-salt diet does not only lead to high blood pressure, but to heart disease and stroke, which annually claims the lives of close to 80,000 people in South Africa. This is a warning from health experts as the country marks the National Salt Awareness Week. The week aims to help raise awareness about the consequences, or raise awareness rather, about the consequences of consuming too much salt and to urge people to eat less of it. Nicole Jennings, a spokesperson for the Health Affirm Pharma Dynamics, elaborates. Yes, that's right. We as South Africans are very guilty of salt consumption. In fact, our daily consumption currently sits at 41%. And just to put that in perspective, we are basically consuming eight times of the five grams, which is one teaspoon of salt that's recommended by the World Health Organization. So eight times the amount of salt that we should be consuming on a daily basis. Now, experts also estimate that if we can just decrease our salt consumption, which is such a small and simple you know, lifestyle change to implement, that we can decrease up to 11% of heart-related deaths in South Africa. In terms of a week like this one, what is it that you would have people do in terms of really honing in and zooming in on this problem? Okay, so a study done by the Penn State University discovered recently that some people may be known as super tasters. Now, this means that they have a heightened sense of bitter taste receptor and these people are the ones that tend to use that extra discretionary salt at the dinner table or at the lunch table and the reason for this is salt can help to almost cancel out the bitter taste or the bitter undertones that these people pick up in certain types of food. So what we're doing this year is we're asking South Africans to visit their local pharmacy and to get a hold of a PC strip. This strip is coated in a chemical that can only be detected by a super taster. So you can then do the test with yourself and your family. It's very interesting to do with people and to see the different reactions and responses. Some people find it um, intensely bitter and they can't uh, deal with the sensation, whereas other people pick up absolutely nothing. And if you are a super taster, it's very important then to... um, Take care, you know, to concentrate on the salt you're adding at the dinner table because you are likely to have a heavy hand when it comes to the salt shaker. Now, what advice do you have for many South Africans who really do find themselves reaching for that salt shaker, you know, more often than they should? Well, I think the first and very um, important is not to salt your food before you've tasted it. And where it's all possible, cook at home and eat food at home that doesn't come from a packet or from a tin. It's important to understand that foods that come out of tins or out of packets that aren't in their natural form already have a lot of salt added to them. So then in those cases, it's very easy to you know, overtake your recommended daily amount of salt without even noticing or adding your own salt to your food. And then when cooking... Do try to limit your salt and swap it for um, alternative forms of flavor that actually have health benefits. So garlic, for example, nice herbs like thyme and oregano or paprika, all of these things actually have their own health benefits. And they can, you know, make your food tasty and very fulfilling without having to add that extra salt. For people who'd like to find more information around this, um, how do they find that information from uh, Pharma Dynamics? 
for this question is people can visit our website at www.pharmadynamics.ca.za and then what we also have is a wonderful recipe book series that we've developed in partnership with the Heart and Stroke Foundation of South Africa. There are three recipe books and they are all downloadable for free. So to get a hold of these low-salt, low-fat, super-healthy heart recipes, people can visit cookingfromtheheartsa.co.za and all of those recipe books are downloadable for free. Nicole Jennings there is from uh, Pharma Dynamics and she was in conversation with Zekona Miso. China has removed presidential term limits from its constitution, giving President Xi Jinping the right to remain in office indefinitely. The constitutional changes were passed by China's annual sitting of the National People's Congress yesterday. The amendments also include inserting Xi's political theory into the constitution, something that was already added to the party charter in October at the end of a party congress, a feat no other leader since Chairman Mao had managed to while in office. More from policy analyst and co-director at the University of Johannesburg's Confucius Institute, David Monyai. I think there are a number of factors, um, domestically as well as uh, internationally, that uh, made President Xi Jinping and the leadership um, to think of removing the term limits. Uh, one is to do with the stability in the country, um, and uh, in terms of changing this, uh, since 1976, the last time when uh, indefinite uh, leadership term was limited to two. Uh, this time around, I think there are um, lots of plans that he has internally. One is to wipe out um, poverty by 2020 and the, the stability within China and immediate region. At a global level, there are a number of tensions uh, in the region, and there's a perception within China that the U.S. and some Western countries are somehow isolating China, the attention in the South Sea, uh, China Sea, um, as well as uh, the need to stabilize uh, the one belt, one one road. There is a, a need for a consistent, in their view, uh, to have uh, a consolidated leadership that will take China into uh, 2049 as centenary. Is it now perhaps a sense out there that China is going back to the days of Chairman Mao, and is there not perhaps also fears of a dictatorship? Uh, it depends who says that. I think internally there has seemed to be um, support for the move, uh, but in Western capitals I think there has been condemnation uh, and the limits. But when we look at the issue of limits or no limits, uh, in itself is not the only measure of democracy. If we look in Germany, I think there are no limits, quite a number of countries. So there's absolutely nothing new. Uh, the only thing that came, it came as a surprise, uh, given the fact that China had already moved away from that. But the new reality within China um, might have made uh, President Xi Jinping and the leadership to change mind to ensure that uh, the anti-corruption uh, move and stability in terms of infrastructure um, that globally and uh, China making it much more stronger than it is. Beyond Xi Jinping, from where you sit, is there any succession strategy in place in China though? Uh, in terms of the party, I think there are um, uh, quite a number of up uh, and coming uh, new leadership that is capable of taking China forward should anything happen to President Xi Jinping. 
uh, like any other country, uh, there are dynamics within China. I think there is a need to pay much more attention and understand China from it internally uh, instead of uh, imposing our own views in terms of what China should and not, should not do. Mm-hmm. As far as Africa is concerned, I think where China has made inroads, uh, it's a it's a blessing in disguise. I mean, Africa is moving its term limits in most countries, and therefore there are lessons that one can learn uh, from China. Also, other lessons not to learn from China. Therefore, I think African leaders would have to choose quite carefully what to take from China and what not to take from China. What does the insertion of uh, Xi's political theory into the constitution mean for China's growth prospects? The main aim is consistent. I think his plan and move uh, is to ensure that um, uh, China uh, and the question of development, which is a key issue, uh, if you understand the uh, thinking within China, even ordinary Chinese, there's that feeling that China has been defeated in the past, whether in wars or lack of development. Uh, The main aim um, and the reason why it was defeated was the lack of knowledge, scientific development. So if you look at what the leadership is doing, is to fulfill the issue of strengthening the modernization of the army uh, in terms of defensive and protecting uh, national territories in terms of consolidating them, uh, as well as ensure that Chinese are out of poverty, a country with one, almost 1.4 billion people, has managed to take people out of poverty 600 million people out of poverty. Mm. So there are quite a number of good things that are coming out. Uh, Like any other country, they also have challenges uh, politically, economically, and otherwise. Does this have the potential to perhaps reshape global order, you think, Doctor? I doubt very much. I think this is a Chinese story. Um, Africans are shaping their own uh, without necessarily following China or Western countries. It's a question of having a particular kind of leadership that responds to your day-to-day needs um, in terms of development, uh, peace and security. Uh, at this stage, you look at the United States, it is facing its own domestic challenges with a new kind of leadership that is taking what the United States stood for in terms of advancing globalization and democracy, reversing those changes. So we are going to see more of this in China, in Western countries, as well as on our own African continent. Dr. David Munyaye is a policy analyst and co-director at the University of Johannesburg's Confucius Institute, speaking to Elvis Preslin. The Minister of Energy, Jeff Khadebe, is expected to officially sign the 27 Renewable Energy Independent Power Producer Projects tomorrow, including the power purchase agreements with ESCOM, the electricity supply company. Dave Long, General Secretary of South African Independent Power Producers Association, says his organization is cautiously optimistic that the days of the last two and a half, three years are now finally over when ministers of energy promise to sign deals with independent power producers. Certainly. On behalf of SAIPA, the Independent Power Producers Association, We are cautiously optimistic that the delays of the last two and a half, three years are now finally over. We are cautious because in our recollection, this is the fourth Minister of Energy who has announced that these PPAs and financial closure of these projects is taking place. 
But with the change of mood in the country following the Ramaphosa election to the presidency, we're far more optimistic that reality will now take place and that these long outstanding financial close of these projects will take place tomorrow. Now, Dave, what could be said to be the situation of independent power producers when it comes to energy provision to local communities in South Africa? Well, these projects that are getting signed tomorrow are all um, bids for the Department of Energy's Renewable Energy IPP program. So the power will get sold to Eskom and get introduced at the connection local to the project where the power station is. And then it goes into the national grid and I'm not aware of there being any specific power being produced for a specific community. It will all go into a national supply by Eskom. So are we looking forward to the energy efficiency in South Africa with regards to this renewable energy independent power producers program? That the price of electricity maybe would not go up as time goes on. It will remain constant as it is or go down at some time. Uh, renewable energy in South Africa is on a downward trend, and particularly for photovoltaic renewable energy internationally, there's some very encouraging signs of costs now going down below 30 South African cents a kilowatt hour for large plants. But we must bear in mind that our renewables program has started in 2011, And it was a conscious decision of government to generate interest in the industry by providing an incentive for renewable project developers. So we do see some contracts that are already in place and the power is being generated at quite high prices. But um, as each round of renewables gets concluded, this price is falling. Are we looking forward with regards to communities with the assistance of independent power producers producing their own uh, electricity? Well, remember the government program for renewable energy has many provisions to ensure that the local community benefits both in shareholding in the project and local procurement. That is Dave Long, who is the General Secretary of South African Independent Power Producers Association, talking to Wandele Kalipa. 17.45 Central African Time, your economics with Wissane Matebula. Good evening. Thanks, as Pumelele. Congolese President Joseph Kabila has signed a mining law that is expected to increase the country's royalties despite opposition from major mining companies. Kabila has announced the signing after meeting with mining representatives. CEO of Ivanhoe Mining Company, Robert Fiedland, read a media statement on the outcome of the meeting.
A meeting took place on Wednesday, the 7th of March, 2018, between His Excellency President Joseph Kabila Kabange of the Democratic Republic of Congo and the representatives of the mining industries at their request. The purpose of the meeting was to clarify certain aspects of the new mining code adopted by the two chambers of the Congolese parliament, which will be promulgated soon. The representatives of the mining industry raised questions pertaining to their operations. The president gave assurances that the questions raised will, will be resolved through discussions with the government. South African Labour Union for Food and Health Workers says it wants President Sir Ramaphosa to urgently deal with their demands on what it calls inappropriate laws. Some of FAO's grievances is for Ramaphosa to get rid of the trade agreements on chickens imported from some countries. General Secretary Katisi Masemula. Well, our demand is that uh, Parliament's power as legislated and in the Constitution should call for a debate on what we call inappropriate laws or policies, such as the sugar tax, um, such as the amendments to the Tobacco Act as well as the Liquor Act, and the trade agreements that affect poultry and chicken dumping into this country. To do so because we're saying the jobs are at stake, we're saying revenue to the fiscals is at stake, and we're saying the health of our people is also at stake. And the Bank of Baroda is now free to exit South Africa after the High Court sitting in Pretoria dismissed the application by 19 Gupta-linked companies to force them to remain in the country and continue servicing them. The Indian-based bank, which does not own any infrastructure in South Africa but was using NetBank's facilities, announced in January that it will be closing its South African operation at the end of this month. Judge Moses Mavunda, in his 15-page verdict, also ordered the 19 applicants to pay the legal costs. I have prepared a written judgment which I propose not to read into the record. Copies will be made available. I will merely proceed to read paragraph 22 thereof. In the premises, the following order is made. One, the application is dismissed with cost. Two, the applicants are ordered jointly and severally, the one paying the other to be absolved, to pay the cost, inclusive the cost of employing senior counsel and three junior counsel. I hand down the judgment. The court adjourns. And uh, the announcement by South African Reserve Bank that VBS Mutual Bank has been placed under curatorship has been criticized by a number of political parties. Reserve Bank Governor Leseja Khanyaho says the action was triggered by VBS's inability to achieve sufficient liquidity following National Treasury's instruction to municipalities that they stop investing with the bank and withdraw their funds. However, Khanyaho has assured all depositors that their funds are secure. Abongile Dumako reports. In a statement, PAC spokesperson Kenneth Mukhatle says they are disgusted by the Reserve Bank's decision as it oppresses an African-owned bank. The BLF says it's not surprised by this decision, accusing the ANC of killing black empowerment within the economic sector. And the DA's Kevin Milam says they support this action taken by Treasury and the Reserve Bank to safeguard the funds of municipalities and other depositors within VBS. And the EFF says putting the bank under curatorship should be a last resort. 
It says that the bank is being victimized because of a 7.8 million rand loan it gave to former president Jacob Zuma. Abongile Dumago, SABC News, Johannesburg. And now for a look at your financial indicators. The dollar is trading at 11.79 South African rands at 9.45 Botswana Pula, 9.64 Zambian Kwacha, also at 72 pence to the British pound and 81 cents against the euro. The commodities market, gold is at $1,322 and platinum at $963 per fine ounce Brent crude oil, $65.60 per barrel. And that's how it's looking right now. This is Africa Digest. It is now time for sports news. Here is Mosebudi Makura. This is Africa Digest. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa. Good evening, sports fans. And starting off with cricket news, Gahi Sorabada has been suspended for South Africa's next two test matches against Australia after being found guilty of a level 2 ICC code of conduct offence of inappropriate and deliberate physical contact with a player. He has received a fine of 50% of his match fee and three demerit points after a disciplinary hearing following his denial of the charge. Now, this means Rabada has accumulated eight demerit points within a 24-month period, automatically leading to a two-match suspension. The incident happened in the 52nd over of Australia's first innings of the second test, which, uh, when moving towards the slips, Rabada made contact with Steve Smith with his shoulder. He received a further 15% uh, fine fine of his match fee, an additional demerit point, bringing um, his total to nine. Meanwhile, Australia's all-rounder Mitchell Marsh has also been uh, fined after the second test match. The International Cricket Council has fined Marsh 20% of his match fee and handed a one demerit point of um, for a level one offence of the code of conduct which pertains to using language or gesture that is obscene, offensive or insulting during an international match. The Australian accepted the charge and no formal hearing was needed.
South Africa Sports Confederation and Olympic Committee President uh, Gideon Sam expects Team South Africa to finish in the top five at the Commonwealth Games in the Gold Coast, Australia next month. SA finished with a total of 40 medals at the previous edition in Glasgow, Scotland, made up of 13 golds, 10 silver, 17 bronze medals, finishing in seventh position on the medal table out of the 35 teams. And Smith is hoping to finish in the top five. Well, look, uh, this time around, we actually don't talk how many medals. We talk about upping our position on the medal table. We want to get back to number five. We've always been around five and so on. In Glasgow, we took a dip, dip. although we got medals, but maybe not the right color of the medal. Now we're saying go for gold. So 15 will probably keep us close to India because they go in there. Okay, they've now improved on, on the wrestling, just like a big time, right? And, um, and shooting has always been their strong point. So we need to get closer to that. Well, the Zaya Sports News at the South. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. Seventeen fifty six Central African time. Let's recap our top stories. Kenya's main opposition, politi- Kenya's rather main political leaders, have smoked a peace pipe, much to the surprise of many. South African political analyst uh, pour scorn on the ruling party's overtures towards uh, opposition leader Julius Malema. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Spumele Lezondi, producer Luanda Mahometan, Kapodusa, Sfiso Mashiko, and the rest of the team, thank you very much for listening. Send us emails. We are on info at channelafrica.co.za info at channelafrica.co.za on WhatsApp plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven plus two seven seven six three hundred double three two seven tweet us on channel africa one we leave you with bomb by sunel music and mlindo the vocalist <laughs>